Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Is This Music? A podcast about the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate, and what it all means and why it matters. My name is Malcolm Fraser, back speaking to you after a long break. Longer than I had planned, but uh, that's life. I've been researching, studying, working on this and other projects, and I'm checking in to let you know where the project is at, and today I'm going to be talking about the origins of what is this music, and you know what and how and why it came together, as well as some of the ideas that have been kicking around in my brain uh, as I try to bring this project to fruition. Um, in the last episode with my brother Nick Fraser, one of the most popular episodes, if you haven't checked it out, be sure to do so, he suggests that one of the subjects or topics of the podcast is you know, the idea of genre. And that's true, but I've always been a bit more interested in subgenres. Um, I mean, genre, I think we can say, has some objective value as a descriptor of different kinds of music. But when you get into subgenres, that's where it becomes a bit more complicated. And I've always been a little bit annoyed or frustrated with um, the impulse that people or certain people have to make these really... Um, specific and precise categories, subcategories of music. Uh, it's more prevalent in some musical communities than others. It certainly happens with electronic music, with punk, with metal. Um, this sort of idea of like, oh, you know, I, I don't like this subgenre. I only like that subgenre. Um, and, you know, it becomes a bit ridiculous. But then, you know, why is that so frustrating and annoying to me. I don't know. I guess if I'm being honest, there's something in it that is meant to exclude. You know, you don't understand this, so you are not part of the in-group. Now, there's something very human in that, but whether it rubs up against my sort of holistic, humanist, hippie impulse to uh, all be on the same page or whether it triggers some kind of like deep childhood trauma of exclusion. I don't know. I guess as Nick said on the last episode, when you talk about genre or in this case subgenre, you're, you get pretty quickly into things that are, as he put it, extra musical. Or as the writer Benjamin Pickett said, quote, whatever music might be, it clearly relies on many things that are not music, and therefore we should conceive of it as a set of relations among distinct materials and events that have been translated to work together, unquote. So I think that when we talk about genre and subgenre, we are really talking about these things that are not music. And I want to look a little more closely at what all those things are. But it was a subgenre that sent me on the sort of uh, thought path um, that has brought us to uh, the wonderful place we are today with this 
what is this music project. So here goes the origin story of how it all began. In 2014, uh, I turned 40 years old. And a couple of friends of mine who are kind of high rollers, as you'll see, um, offered me a very, very generous present. Um, they invited me to go with them to Hellfest, which is a metal festival that takes place uh, in France. Now, this is kind of a strange gift to me because, first of all, I don't love outdoor music festivals. I love music. I love to see live music, but I kind of prefer to see it in an environment where I can sit down and an environment where I can leave at a moment's notice uh, if I feel like it. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I like metal. I like certain types of metal. We'll get into that. But, um, but I'm not really a metalhead. At the same time, I was not about to turn down this extremely generous gift and this opportunity to spend uh, a few days with some really good friends checking out music in France. So off I went that summer to Hellfest. Incidentally, I did write an article uh, about my trip to Hellfest uh, in more general terms, talking about the music that I saw uh, for Vice's um, music vertical at the time, Noisy. You can still find it online. I'll put a link in the podcast uh, homepage. Incidentally, uh, my editor uh, on that piece was uh, Slava Pastuk, who later became notorious for uh, hiring freelancers to smuggle drugs internationally. Uh, when I found that out, I was I, I was a little um, I was a little offended that he never asked me to smuggle drugs uh, on this trip. I like to think, of course, that I would have had the good sense to politely decline, but that's just a, a little um, a little side note. Now, Hellfest takes place. Uh, in a big field near the village of Clisson in the Pays de Loire region of France, about an hour's train ride from Paris. Um, it began in 2006. Prior to that, there was another Hellfest uh, in, in New Jersey, I think. Uh, I had heard anecdotally that the French Hellfest was inspired by that, but I have not found any uh, hard evidence to support that. At any rate, the French Hellfest started up in 2006, and despite some predictable backlash from local old-fashioned authorities who didn't like the satanic imagery associated with metal, um, it's actually gone on to be one of the most successful music festivals in France, um, with attendance over 50,000 per day um, in recent editions. Of course, the uh, 2020 and 21 editions were canceled due to the ongoing COVID pandemic. But uh, back in 2014, my friends and I attended this festival, and pretty quickly I noticed something that I believe is unique. Um, there were two big main stages, which is normal for this kind of festival. The headlining bands were uh, Iron Maiden, Slayer, Aerosmith, Black Sabbath, and, uh, you know, top-tier bands like that. And then there were several smaller stages that were all devoted to subgenres, and they all had these thematic names. The War Zone was for hardcore and punk. The Altar was for uh, 
death metal, the temple for black metal. Now, right away, you may be thinking what I was thinking, which is, you know, what is the need to subdivide these genres and their audiences so precisely? I mean, are there people who only listen to black metal and not death metal or vice versa? And really, when it comes right down to it, uh, is there that big a difference between these genres that their audiences need to be kept separate in the ecosystem uh, of this festival. Now, mind you, those two stages were right beside each other, so you could travel freely in between them pretty easily, but I still thought there was something uh, funny uh, about this distinction. And then there was the stage where my friends and I found ourselves without really even meaning to, spending most of our time. And it was called The Valley. Now, The Valley was dedicated to a genre of metal that is known variously as stoner metal, doom metal, sludge metal, drone metal, or psych metal. Now, some might say... Those are all their own separate genres, but they, broadly speaking, are defined by slower tempos, down-tuned guitars, and a thick, heavy sound. David Burke, who's a writer and musician from the UK, wrote a paper called Political Expression in Doom Metal. Um, In it, he further points out that Doom Metal has uh, more of an emphasis on groove than other metal forms, And he also says, uh, he talks about, quote, the use of fuzz, delay, and reverb within doom metal, which provide a sonic palette, which is perhaps easier to absorb than other metal genres, particularly black metal, which often aims for abrasion above other aesthetic qualities. Burke also talks about the lyrics in doom metal, which tend to be uh, buried in the mix and also less uh, concerned with political aggression than in other metal forms and more with fantastical narratives. Um, But what I noticed more than anything was that the audience for this style of metal was different than the audience for the other subgenres in the festival. What do I mean by that? Basically, what I mean is that the valley seemed to be largely populated by, like, hipsters and nerds. That is to say, my kind of people. Now, you know, I don't want to get into, you know, the definition of what is a hipster. Uh, You know, it's one of those things that I think we probably all have our own definition. And you could go down that path, but I'm not going to do that here. Uh, I will just say that, you know, hipsters are nerds who have successfully created an alternative universe where they're the cool people. Um, But uh, I guess what I'm getting at is that I, I felt more comfortable around these people. They're more like my kind of people. And the other thing I noticed was that there were a lot more women in the Valley, both in the audience and among the performers. Now, And I, you know, why is that? I don't know. Uh, Sarah Kitteringham, who is a Canadian metal musician and journalist, in her 
2014 master's thesis on uh, gender roles in extreme metal subgenres hypothesized that it could have to do with a lack of misogynist lyrics in the genre. Now, that could be a chicken or egg argument, I guess. She also speculated that it could have something to do with uh, occult themes in the music, which I guess is a stereotypically or traditionally more feminine uh, kind of theme. I don't know if I would want to be quite so uh, gender essentialist or binary about it, especially because occult themes are sort of a typical across all metal. But nonetheless, these are interesting ideas. And, uh, you know, it's more than I've been able to come up with as an answer of, you know, why is it a more um, female-friendly subgenre? One of my favorite memories from the festival is watching Monster Magnet, who was one of uh, my and my friends' shared favorite bands at the Valley, headlining act. We were right up at the front in the pit, and all these young men kept sort of bumping and jostling up against me. And then I would, I found that they were throwing their arms around me and hugging me. Uh, it was very beautiful, I thought, that these young bros felt comfortable showing affection like that. It was very touching. N not very metal. So all this kind of got me thinking, why are we, the audience here at the Valley, uh, let's say, broadly speaking, a sort of kinder, gentler, less aggressive uh, subset uh, of the metal audience? What is it about this music that attracts us? Maybe I'm overthinking it and it's obvious less aggressive people are attracted to less aggressive music. Or maybe it's even more obvious than that. The, the, the solution is right there in the name, stoner metal. We're just all pacified by cannabis into enjoying this slower, heavier, less aggressive music. But I think there's got to be something more to it than that. And that kind of set me on the path of thinking about why are certain types of people attracted to certain types of music? Why do some people like the music that everyone else hates? Why are there musical qualities that repel most people but draw in others? And what does it say about our personalities? Um, is there a psychological reason? Is it a more of a sociological reason? Maybe it's all of the above. It's happening at an intersection of semiotics, community, marketing, and identity. Uh, and there's so much to look at there. Incidentally, I saw that at Hellfest 2022, which as of this recording is still scheduled to go on, one of the headlining acts at the Valley is Berlin-based digital hardcore group Atari Teenage Riot, who are not uh, at all uh, within uh, any of those subgenres. Um, but it made me think maybe the Valley is also the place for those musicians and audience members who don't belong anywhere else. René Girard wrote that man is the creature who does not know what to desire, and he turns to others in order to make up his mind. We desire what others desire because we imitate their desires. Let's leave aside the uh, gendered language there, plus the fact that Girard is a huge influence on uh, dystopian, libertarian, wingnut Peter Thiel. We'll leave that aside. 
this is a thing that a lot of people believe, that people like things just because everyone else does. Well, I think it's much more complicated than that, especially in the era of this sort of uh, splintered, fragmented, long-tail, post-mainstream cultural tribalism. But it's also, there's something undeniable about it as well. We, we, we want to go along with the crowd and we want to fit in. Georgina Bourne, who's a writer and a theorist who also played in the art punk band Henry Cow, wrote that music has powers to animate imagined communities. And I think that's a, an amazing insight about what is going on with this and other subgenre. She also wrote that music refracts wider social identity formations. And uh, I, I love that phrasing too, that, you know, is music is so much a part of how we, we form our identities, um, but how and why, that's what I want to get a little deeper into. There's a lot of different uh, directions you can go with it. There's been some uh, hard science research on uh, musical taste. Daniel Levitin's book, This Is Your Brain on Music, is probably the most popular example of that. I'm a little bit skeptical about this approach. I, I hate to call myself a science skeptic, especially in this historical moment, but I do feel like uh, hard science's uh, emphasis on quantifying results and, and uh, hard categories uh, misses some of the abstractions and the nuances that go into this kind of topic. Having said that, there's a lot of interesting research that's gone on lately about how music can directly affect mood, and I'm going to be diving into that. There's also been a lot of writing in the area of uh, music studies and cultural theory. I've gotten into some of that a little bit on this episode with uh, Pickett and Bourne's writing. Uh, that, would, I would say, almost has the opposite problem of being uh, excessively abstract and theoretical, that it's... Uh, at times completely removed uh, from uh, real people's lived experience. And as I talked about before with uh, subgenre rhetoric, there's a lot of jargon in that writing, and jargon can be used uh, to put up walls and keep people out, and I don't like that. But having said that, there's a lot of interesting insights going on there as well, so I will not be ignoring that side of things. And finally, there's a lot of uh, socio-psychological research uh, on musical taste, and I'm going to be diving into all of that as well. Of course, the main problem with that as an approach is that it tends to rely on uh, self-reporting, you know, what people say they like. But that brings me to the final kind of piece, which is nowadays uh, with Spotify and other uh, streaming services, we can not only know what people say they like, but we can know very precisely what people actually listen to. And believe me, Spotify is doing a lot of research on that and they uh, have a lot of power uh, to not only measure people's taste but in the era of big data and surveillance capitalism uh, they have a lot of things they can do with that information so uh, not to get paranoid but uh, this is a dystopian science fiction reality we're living in so we're going to get into that as well so there you have it folks this has been the story of how What Is This Music began, where it's at, and where it's going. Uh, I look forward to doing more shows as the project progresses, talking to some more guests, and uh, I hope you enjoy joining me uh, on this quest to find out what is 
this music. <laughs> 